thing. All I want to say about next Saturday from 12 to 3, I will be there. I want you to join me. So take out your, com- your connection card and write uh, from 12 to 3, uh, you, know, you know, freeze pops or I'll be there. We need you to hand out these opportunities. I want to remind you that every time one of these opportunities, they're not, they're not problems to be solved, they're opportunities to engage. Every one of these opportunities that the community comes to us and says, hey, we want you to help us with, is an opportunity for the beachhead of God's love to take place. And so if you're like, well, I don't know if I want to stand out in the hot sun. Well, I am grateful that God, on his, out of his sovereignty, sent Jesus to a cross to die for us. Sorry, that was probably a little too direct and maybe a little guilt-ridden. Didn't mean that, but I do mean it in some ways. Because sometimes we are, we are like, well, it doesn't fit into my, my schedule. There are certain things that will not fit into your schedule that are God-ordained. And you need to set yourself aside and step into them. Maybe that's not one of them. I will admit that. I will admit that. The other thing I want to invite you to is uh, next, week's, uh, next week's luncheon. Some of you are like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to host. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll lessen Leslie's uh, invitation. If you're just curious about community groups with no obligation, I would love to have you there. You can have a free lunch and go home. But what the opportunity that I have, I'll just tell you, the opportunity that I have is to be able to tell you about what potentially can happen when you, when you host or you participate in a community group. In fact, the next few moments are all about that. So, let me start again. Hello. So I want, you to, I want you to think about this question. How do you know you are living in community? How do you know that you're living in and out community? The aspects and the essentials of community. So uh, think about that for about the next 10 seconds. Turn to two or three other people and tell them how you know you're living in community. What are, the, what are those uh, essentials of community for you? Uh, and if... If you're talking to your spouse, talk to somebody else. Share with them. They already know. Or they don't know, maybe. But what are the signs community is being engaged and celebrated? Well, let's say you're, you have a party with friends and family. Let's say you've had a party with friends and planning, family. You have been planning and anticipating this gathering for the while, for a long while, and it was a great time. It's past. Um, the, the rain stayed away, the grass was green, and the sun was shining. Uh, you, whoever you invited show up, showed up. There was conversation, 
beautiful conversation over dinner uh, or a meal, whatever it may have been. You played some, f- uh, played some games. You had some uh, food. You didn't have to fix it all. It was wonderful. And there was laughter and maybe even a few tears. Actually, that maybe there were actually a few tears because you heard somebody's story that you'd never heard before. And maybe, maybe you even caught somebody napping. Did I say that? Yeah, I meant that. Because in community, we allow people to be. We let them catch a nap if the day allows it. There's cornhole competition where the young took on the old, and you can figure out where you fit. It was great. Everybody was razzed for how they threw their bags. The croquet set was, uh, croquet was set up in the yard and individuals, I don't know if you've ever played this game before, but individuals work hard to keep their ball in play and on the course because one of the best things about croquet is you send the other person's ball to the next county. That is the best. Have you ever played? If you haven't, you need to. It's just a blast. And uh, it, you truly can send somebody's ball a long way. Uh, there, you have a deck. I don't know where this is at. I have no idea. But you, people were playing board games or they were playing euchre. Or they, were, they were playing uno. It, you know, kids and a few adults, there are water balloons. This has got to be the best party, right? There are water balloons. And uh, for part of the day, they were at odds uh, throwing water balloons around and even if you weren't in the fray, you got a little bit of the mist of the water balloons, right? Uh, chalk art was being displayed grandly. Uh, let's say you have a driveway that can happen or a sidewalk that can happen. Chalk, and it was all being displayed grandly. People that drove by knew something was up. But you know another thing that happens when community gets together is that there's dishes that are stacked in the sink. They're just stacked there. Oh, did I mention barbecued chicken? Summer salads? The berry pies that you die for? You know, you're just like, ah, these are great. Maybe you're not into that, but I am. A bit of indulgence on on behalf of some. It It was just a wonderful party. But now all the dishes are stacked in the sink. And everybody's gone. They're on the counter, and even on the table. And you realize and you recognize that the dirty dishes represent not the dirty dishes of people eating off from, but you, you realize and recognize that the dirty dishes rep- represent the, uh, the culmination and the, uh, the culmination of community come together. Uh, not just food, not just games, but relationships that intermingled with one another. Heard stories from each other that they'd never heard before. You realize that these moments are not moments, they're, they're moments that you have to cultivate over time. They don't happen just by happenstance. You actually have to invest some energy. You have to actually put yourself out and have other people take a risk to risk on you. It's an incredible, an incredible environment. You're caught in those moments, and as you do those dirty dishes, you realize that they're not just dirty dishes. 
that they are an investment. Sure, you spent some money on the food, you bought water balloons, you made sure there was chalk for chalk art. Yes, you spent all the money, but you realize and recognize that the investment is far greater than the money that you doled out. It's an investment in people and community and love and care and value and seeing them. But before you even got to that investment of that party, you realized, as I mentioned before, you had to invest or divest yourself to give or to get life. It doesn't come like that. It has to, it has to be about taking a risk or taking a step, uh, accepting an invitation, uh, having a conversation with those neighbors or with those new people at work. You realize that it's not as simple as maybe your heart desires and what you would like. But it's all worth it. And you realize it as you're washing every one of those dirty dishes because you have experienced community that your heart hungers for. Why does our hearts hunger for that? This is the reason, because we're made in the image of God. At the very core of, all, core of us, we all want to be seen and known. We all want to be seen and known, not just uh, used. We go to work and we sometimes feel as if we're not only seen and known, but we're being used and used up. But we desire to be known. Now, I get it. In a room, a room like this and even online, there are some of us who are wired uh, extremely on this end. Our, God, our wiring this way is from God, and we love and desire to be around people. In fact, if we had our way, we'd be around people all the time. But even for the most uh, introverted of us, we have come to realize, maybe over the last couple of years, that uh, we desperately need other people. That face-to-face, that skin-on-skin, that shoulder-to-shoulder contact is desperately needed because the digital does not cut it anymore. It never did and never will. J. Kim says this, the church was never meant to be a derivative of the cultural moment, rather a disruption of it. I love that. That we're here to shake things up. We're here to uh, speak into the moment, not to claim the moment and live into it, but we're actually here to shake it up. So this morning, a strange passage of scripture we're going to read together, especially when we're talking about community, but I think it illustrates it fairly well, is from Matthew chapter 10. So if you will stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning, out of Matthew chapter 10, Verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is also called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas the Iscariot who betrayed him. May God honor the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
strange passage of scripture when we're talking about community, but this is something we need to remind ourselves of. Jesus came as a baby. He was born into a family, but the interesting thing about ministry for him is it needed people. It needed others to be a part of it. And this is the other facet we just pulled from this. We understand, even as we have been reading through Luke and Acts as a community together, and if you have not, the truth still remains. Jesus lived in community. Jesus lived in community. Now, these names that we read are the very people, men, that Jesus called to be his. And did you recognize there were two names that they uh, that uh, Matthew specifically identified with descriptors. So there was a, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, who betrayed him. These are his community. These were his. He, these were his guys that he gathered around him. And not only did he have guys that gathered around him, but he also had other disciples. But these were the people that he gathered around him to be a part of his community. That he said, not only will you be fishers of men, but I need you and you need me. This is the way we live. We live inside this community. Can you imagine sitting around the dinner table with these guys? Uh, I mean... Think of the personalities that are there. You have fishermen, right? And you have a tax collector and you have the zealot. I mean, what an interesting conversation. I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be crazy. You have Matthew who is this an all-out traitor against his own very own people. And then you have Simon who's wanting to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, rid the earth, literally, of people who are oppo- opposing, uh, you know, the, the reign of, of the Jews. Of the, I mean, the move, movement of the Jews. He wants to take them out. And yet, he, here he is in this uh, motley crew of people, these individuals who were passed over to be, well, rabbis and moving into the scholarship, and he calls them to sit around with him. Jesus lived in community, and not only just this community, but he had other gathered groups, and sometimes I think we fundamentally forget that, that he needed them as as they needed him, you know? He called them to follow me, but it was part of his his group of people. Uh, Secondly, I want us to note that people turned down Jesus' invitation to community. Can you imagine Hearing, seeing, and even experiencing in the flesh and blood Jesus and not wanting to be part of his community. I mean, absolutely not wanting to be part of it. It's true. There were those who turned away from Jesus, who said, thank you, but no thank you. I, I see that you raised somebody from the dead, but I'm not interested. It's troubling to us, isn't it? Especially when we're praying for people who we want to come to know Jesus. And they themselves are like, yeah, I don't want all of Jesus. I'd rather have this slice of Jesus. And Jesus says, all of me or none of me works. The rich young ruler would be one of those, right? He knew everything. And Jesus said, hey, I have one more thing for you to do. 
one more thing for you to follow me so that you can give your whole heart to me. He said, nah, not going to do it. Just wasn't going to do that. And then in John 6, 6, 6, okay, I know, the number is just crazy, but don't go wild over it. It doesn't mean exactly what you think it means. It says this, from this time, many of his, his Jesus' disciples, turned back and no longer followed him. This was, this was following his teaching on who he was. You go to that chapter. It says, this is who, who I am, and this is what my community is to look like if you follow me. It is very explicit. And while we all hunger for community, there are some who desire a false community, one that doesn't allow them to become all that God, who is their creator, has meant them to be. We all desire, every single one of us desires to be loved and seen, loved, and, loved seen, and known. Yet, many walk away from the work that it takes to be a part of a community that, move, that love moves us to another place in space. I mean, I don't think there's a person in here, even our littles who are with us right now, if we, if we phrase it this way, is it hard to be in community? Is it hard to have friends? It's very hard to have friends. It's very hard to live in community. Because people have different thoughts and different ways of thinking and they want to help or they, we, they want to take routes of helping. It's hard to be in community with others. I know it's true. This, I, I believe it's true for you, but I know it's true for me. Right? When we're in community, as Jesus was in community, uh, and he desires to point things out as maybe some of our friends would like to point things out to us or even within our marriages or within our family relationships as mothers and fathers and kids in them. It's, it's, it's real and it's raw. And it can be a, a bit disarming and we want to sometimes disown that because we can become a little defensive in those places and spaces when people are like, hey, that's not, that's not healthy. It's not a good way to live. That's not the best way to be. Ever been to a support group of some kind? Or do you know people who have? Whether it's A-A-N-A-E-A-G-S or D-S? Okay. Um, all of them have acronyms that they go by. It's a bit scary especially when you need to be in those places and spaces for the very first time. Because human shows up. Human shows up when we're there. Uh, There's something truly powerful, though, when the real of who we are meets the real of somebody else. Isn't there? When we realize... You know what, friends? I'm addicted to pornography. Well, so am I, but we're going to get out of this together. You know what? I can't, when I take one drink, it's like they're, it's a series of drinks. Yep, been there. Let's help each other. Real. It's raw. But there's something 
attractive about it, isn't there? When we realize we're in a group of people who have traveled the road a little bit ahead of us, or they're with us in it, and we realize that they want us to be the best that we can be. But it takes risk, and it takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability to be the first in a room. To step out, to say, ooh. But when we do, when we do, we experience a freedom that our hearts long for. So people turn down Jesus' invitation to community because it's hard work. But Jesus' invitation into his community was to grow, into a, in, grow in living out the life of the kingdom. So when you step into Jesus' community, when he said, follow me to those disciples and anybody else who followed around him, and you can read John 6 and how those who were gathered, they stepped away. He said, this is not a community to sit and soak. It's not a spectator sport. All are participants in the game. All are expected to grow. None are to be left behind, if you will. It's an end of the Jesus' invitation to you into his kingdom, into his life, is an investment of your life. To take up your cross daily. When Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, it was not just to eat and leave. It was to live, to do the dishes, if you will, the hard work of being known and seen truly is love. This is the commitment to, uh, to Jesus that he invites us into, into a living community where his kingdom starts to have real effect on earth, where it has real thread, if you will, You probably have heard this saying, you're accepted the way you are and you're loved too much to leave you that way, leave you there. I'm grateful that it, that God has this desire about his kingdom, that when he invites us in, he desires to see us grow. He desires to see us change. He desires to see us a better person than when we came in. Can you imagine not, if you have children or grandchildren, your aunt or an uncle, can you imagine not encouraging your children to learn and grow? Now think about this. Not teaching the good that you know. Yep, we have a lot of bad habits and patterns and behaviors and all that type of stuff. But to not teach a child to walk and talk, yep, they're born, just let them lay there, right? Don't talk to them. Don't share, don't interact. We would never think of that. Or even some of the higher, maybe some of the higher skills like uh, cooking and baking. I know these are, you know, there's just, would we never share? Like, you know, how we do those things? How about manners and respect? You know, we just don't ever try to teach our children those things. Or reading and writing or more on the spiritual side, praying and fasting. Jesus invites us into a community that, 
that helps us to grow, helps us to change, to become more like him, to be actually more human, if you will, the way he created us in the very beginning. And Jesus invites you and I into that kingdom. It's a kingdom of relationships, a face-to-face, a shoulder-to-shoulder, a hand-in-hand. Yet we, in this day and age, make the mistake, we, make, uh, we mistake connectivity with community. We, make, we mistake connectivity with community. If I can text, email, or send or an exchange of video with somebody, uh, we can easily mistake that that, is a, a, that truly is community. And let me challenge that again, once again, here, that it's not. It's an effective way to maybe to get information, but not create community. I, I personally can do more work and communication through email, texting, and specific Teams applications that are given to me through software providers than I ever thought I could in my job when I started. 28 years, 20, uh, nearly 29 years of being in the ministry. The evolution. And some of, some of you have seen the same thing in your job. For some of it, I have to be honest, I am not opposed. It does allow for efficiency, allows for effectiveness. So I'm not speaking against all, you know, all aspects of uh, computers and software. But yet I, I think an evaluation of the blur between the digital and the analog world needs to be evaluated by those of us who are followers of Jesus in the flow of our living in community. And so if you're online right now and you're watching this or you're watching this at a later date when it's recorded, I am challenging the very fact that sometimes we believe we can get community through connection online. I think it needs to be evaluated. And some of us are grateful because we cannot be out and about. But for others, we use it as an excuse. We step away from it. The crazy thing is this. It needs to be evaluated from this standpoint uh, as well as some others. Studies continue to report that loneliness is on the rise. Loneliness is on the rise even though we're connected more and more through the digital means and mediums. While I understand that disease and illness has expedited loneliness for way too many in these recent days, studies were reporting the rise of loneliness and isolation far before the pandemic, friends far before the pandemic. And so for those of us who are followers, we're supposed to be disruptive to the cultural norms. We're supposed to challenge them, not to adopt them. Scott McKnight says this, one can't do church digitally. The important things about church life are, are all embodied. He means we're an embodied spirit. We are physical in our being, knowing one another, loving one another, sitting and standing and praying with one another, listening to the sermon, watching the tone of the words and the movement of the body when we sing and walk forward to take communion. These are the things that make a church a church. And I would go so far to say, well, that's the gathering when we gather together on Sundays, but there is so much more to it than that too. While Scott McKnight's a wise man, I think we need to look at something that is truly wiser, maybe, and solid that we have 
point to. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start with the third verse, which is not on the screen. So you have a little bit of intro into what I'm reading. It says this, His divine power divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and godness. God's divine power has given us everything, he says. This is great news, friends. That's great news that the power that we so desperately want, the love that we so desperately want, the community that we so desperately want is available to us. Yet there's more to come. He says in verse 4, through these things he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It is by his divine power that he has been able to save us, to rescue us. We cannot do this on our own. We never could. In fact, many of us have tried And then we had to try Jesus, and Jesus was our last try. It was the right one. We know this to be true. He goes on in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. (gasps) You ever try to do all that? For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see the phrase in there? If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, uh, there are many things in life that we wish that we could just, they would automatically just over a period of time, I, I wish that when I signed up for the gym that I would automatically just increasingly get stronger and stronger just by signing up for the gym. How many are there? Man, I wish. And lose weight and keep everything in check, you know? Uh, it doesn't work that way, right? There, there's a, there's a, there's a real embodied thing that has to transpire for us to uh, possess these qualities in increasing, increasing measure. This, the idea of having mutual affection for one another only occurs within em, embodied people meeting together in community. You can't do it from afar. Somebody tells me they love me digitally, but they do not know me. They don't know me. Now, do they love me? I don't, yeah, probably to some level, but they don't love me, right? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you found this to be true about you because I found it to be true about me. We all have gaps, Right? We take that list that we just read from 2 Peter chapter 1 and we realize, oh, I've got some gaps. I don't measure up to even what I think. And it doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what God thinks. And he says that we need to increase our, our quotient of love and goodness and mutual affection for one another. We all 
have these spaces and gaps in our lives. And if we are not willing to engage the gaps in our lives, right? Our love, our perseverance, our, our patience with one another, all of these things, we pretend. That's the only thing that happens. When we stop engaging in intentionally dealing with those gaps in our lives and allowing others to be a part of those gaps in our lives, we actually stop growing. Did you know that? We stop improving as people and start acting. That's where the word hypocrisy comes from. We all have hypocrisy, by the way. If you have friends in your life that you're talking to them about Jesus, they say that the church is a hypocrisy, you know, hypocrisy. Well, everybody has hypocrisy. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can purge that out of us. But maybe you've noticed the idea of in, in pretending and you stop improving. Maybe you've noticed this in school, kids. Right? When, when, we, when we say we've read a passage of scripture, but we have not read the passage of scripture because we can't read the passage of scripture because we don't understand the words and we're not willing to say, I need help. We are pretending and we stop improving. Maybe you've noticed this in your marriage. You pretend that there's nothing wrong or you pretend that there are not gaps. You pretend that that, that statement that was uh, sideways and it was harmful was not even made and you begin to pretend and on top of the pretending is you start to create this false narrative about your marriage about your relationship about honesty about integrity about love by the way if this hits you in some way let the spirit take it it hits all of us to be really honest because we're all here Maybe you've noticed this at work. You, uh, and it's maybe more about how you notice other people because that's the way we're kind of wired. You notice that that person doesn't know how to do their job very well and yet they're not willing to help raise their hand and go, I don't know what I'm doing, right? And they pretend for a period of time. Our, Our desire is in this idea of community is we want to find real people, don't we? We want to know and find real people who are real about themselves. I love what Andy Stanley says, until we embrace the who and where we really are, we can't get to where we want to be and need to be. Friends, it's not just those of us in the room, it's every one of us in the world. But when you find real people, let's say you have gone to a support group and they're probably one of the best places to find this. When you realize, when you step through the door, that whatever you're dealing with, you can't control and you need help, not only from God, but you need help from other people and you, you, <laughs> you say the truth about where your heart is, You open the door to freedom. You open the door to opportunity to become real. 
And the incredible thing, when you step through the door and you become real and you stop pretending and you move towards improving, you allow the opportunity for others to do exactly the same. That's what's so powerful about when AA was meeting here and when NA was meeting here. What was, what was so powerful is that they were, they just had, they had, they had, they had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And we have forgotten sometimes in our communities that we have nothing to lose and everything to gain in and with Jesus. It's just like a, a magnet when we're real. This is the interesting thing is when we're in those environments and we hear people that are like, wow, I, I would have never said that. We're drawn to those places, right? And then, then we find ourselves saying the stuff that we weren't planning to say. And I'm not saying extremely bad. It's just like my marriage isn't where I want it to be. I, I yelled at my wife this week. Or my, you know, I'm out of control. I mean, you think those are bad. Those aren't bad. Those are just, there's the truth that most people can probably see about you anyway. And maybe that's scary in and of itself. But the crazy thing is that when you are real and you become real, you may, it may come to this realization that, that there's just a truth unlocked that, that God now can deal with in, in a way that he never could before. Jesus invites us into the community, into his kingdom, because he loves us and laid down his life for us. And he loves us so much that he does not want to leave us simply in the gaps. We all have them. The gaps of this, here's some passages of scripture that he desires for us, I believe, to put into play. We know these passages, many of us do. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And in case you think that community groups or any one of our groups become a place of fix-its, it does not. This is the power of a group. As we listen to somebody's story and we go, wow, but I don't, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer, but can I pray for you? Can I come alongside of you and, and just pray for you? Because if scripture is true, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It brings about the healing that the heart and the life desires. And when we are able to go, Ugh, and somebody sets in those community groups, as I've been in groups, wow, that's huge. We, we identify that. Can I pray for you? without a prescription. It's powerful because God's divine power is revealed in that. How about Hebrews 10, 24, and 25? Brothers, 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Right? But encourage one another daily. It's all the more you see the day approaching. This desire to be with one another and to spur one another on. How about Galatians 6.1? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are by the Spirit should restore, should restore that person gently, but watch yourself you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we may see the top part of this is, you know, restore somebody, but do you realize when we, when we come, along somebody, come alongside somebody who's a brother and sister in Christ and say, hey, let's, wow, you, you recognize this, yeah. What Paul says here is it fulfills the law of Christ, the law of love, the law of redemption. The world around us is desperate for a community that is authentic, has integrity, sees people change. It's desperate to see Individuals who are changing. And if you're like me, that oftentimes the, the evil one whispers, you don't need to share that. You don't need to give that up. You don't need to participate in community to bring about the change that you know needs to happen. But God desires for us to be a part of community where there is change. He invites us into community where there's an expectation of growth to become more like Jesus and to become the kingdom on earth. Another mistake that we make in this process of living the kingdom on earth is that we often believe that content consumption can be a substitute for community, but there is no substitute for community. Coming and going, reading. I love to read. But, but reading scripture or other, inform, other books outside of a classroom, there's not the, that lacks the accountability, it lacks the teeth. So God invites us into community. So what's our next steps? Quickly, we need to engage community. If we have found ourselves in a place and a space where we're not engaged with others, and you can come and find out uh, about this next week, uh, we have the opportunity to individually create a community group for this fall. You can create a group, and you can come and find out how those can be created and how these environments can happen at the luncheon next fall. So if you have a Connect card and you're like, I, I'm interested, um, but I'm not willing to commit, that's fine. Just say, hey, I'm, I'm coming to the luncheon. I'd love to have you at the luncheon. Some of you uh, realize it's just your opportunity this season, this part of your life, as Leslie said earlier, is to commit to a community group this fall. Just commit to it. 
In September, we'll roll out the new groups so you can become part of those groups and start to invest yourself in those. And there will be multiple opportunities that, that happen. But community is the place for growth and change. If Jesus lived in a community and he, Jesus invited people into his community, and it's, a, it's an invitation for us to be a part of a community with Jesus at the center of us. J. Kim says this, gather when the world scatters. Slow down when the world speeds up and commune when the world critiques. I, I, think, I think these words kind of uh, jump off the page and they're, they're opposed to a lot of the way that the world works. Gather when the world scatters. Slow down when the world speeds up. Commune when the world critiques. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you have invited us not only to, uh, into a salvation invitation, but Father, when we say yes and decide to follow you, we are saying yes to the restoration of our hearts and an invitation to the community. And for those friends and family members who are listening and are here this today, Lord, who may be kind of going, you know, I, I'm not sure that the community's for me anymore. Father, would you speak to their heart? Would you allow them to know your great love for them and the love that the community of Ipsy Free has for them to be a part of something that is transformative to them, a, a, a place where not only can they enjoy food and laughter, but they can enjoy the freedom that confession gives. The, the freedom that being real with one another can offer itself. And Father, for those of us who are committed to and are engaged in community beyond the gathering communally all together, Father, I thank you for that. Would you prepare our hearts for where you would want us to be, who you would want us to be, and maybe even allow us to consider what you want us to create with you for others to gather in community. So, Father, they can be seen, known, and loved, but not left where they're at. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the community that you've called us into. We thank you for your church. Help us to be builders of it. In Jesus' name.